This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up this week. Wow, another week with some uh, really rough weather. It's uh, several states getting pounded again with that winter storm. Yesterday, we got a report from South Dakota. Today, we will get a report from Minnesota to check on conditions there. But we know a lot of folks are being impacted by this. Our thoughts and prayers with them. Um, uh, just one storm right after another that they are dealing with this year. Also coming up on our program today, we're going to talk some markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net, and we're going to get some perspective on the U.S.-China trade talks that continue. We hear positive things. Maybe they're getting closer, but uh, just how close might we be? We'll talk with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, get her perspective on those talks a little bit later on, what we might expect coming out of these uh, this latest round of talks. And we're hearing things about they're working on compliance offices and things like that. So does that mean we're getting close? We'll get her thoughts a little bit later on. But we start things off today with uh, a look at uh, clean water issues in this country. And we're coming to the uh, end of a comment period. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, thanks for joining us uh, this uh, public comment period that's coming to a close. What do we know about uh, how many comments have been coming in? Well, we know that there's a lot. And the last time I looked at the docket, Mike, there were something over 60,000 comments that have come in. The good news is that farmers and ranchers are stepping up. Uh, this is important. Uh, we need to make sure that we're getting our voices heard, and this is an important way to get it done. All right, so when this comment period closes, I believe on Monday on the clean water rule, what's the next step? Well, the, the next step, hopefully, is between now and Monday, if any of your listeners hasn't already commented on this regulation and in support of it, because it does provide clarity, we want them to comment. And the Farm Bureau has made it really, really easy. Uh, they can go to fb.org, and there's a, there's a click-on button that says, Take a Stand for Clean Water and Clear Rules. I would clearly you know, request that all of your members just take it would probably take less than a couple of minutes uh, to submit comments be supportive of this rule because you know this administration did a lot of effort to listen to farmers and ranchers to understand what our concerns were and they built a proposal that I think that strikes the balance to protect water but yet provide the kind of clarity and certainty that farmers and ranchers need so that they're not going to have to be dealing with the Corps and EPA just to farm their land that's the first thing second thing you know we got about six months once they close this comment period and and that six months is for the agency to analyze all of the important comments that are going to come in as a result of this comment period and then strike a balance when they propose or when they finalize this regulation so fb.org they go there and they can get their comments made right absolutely there's a button that says take a stand for clean water clear rules now Let's talk again. Just bring it. I want to keep everybody up to date on this. Why we've talked about this? There, it's not a perfect rule. There's some things that uh, maybe you would have liked to have seen, maybe better. But why is this rule such a significant improvement over what we have? Well, clearly, the difference between this rule and the rule that was in place during the Obama administration, or the rule that was finalized during the Obama administration, is it does provide clarity. It does provide a very clear line as to what is a federal water and what is a state water. I think that is vitally important because under the old rule or the one that that 22 states are having to live under right now, the only way you know whether or not it's going to be regulated at the federal level is to either ask EPA or the Corps to come out and make that determination because it was so complicated and so far-reaching that farmers could not understand on their own how to comply with a law that carried criminal and civil penalties. Why are some opposing this new rule? You know, there's, there's people that want to oppose this rule because, I guess, on the environmental side of things, is they would like to be able to, to challenge every type of land use that, that's kind of proposed in this country. 
whether it's a new road or whether it's a new school or whether it's you know somebody's home or just how we farm the land. A really, really broad Clean Water Act proposal gives citizens an opportunity to kind of to kind of have a real direct voice in land use issues at the federal level. We don't think that's what Congress did. We think the Clean Water Act was put into place to protect clean water. And a clear rule will do that, but it will get the federal government out of regulating land use. Could this rule yet be changed, you think? You know, you, you mentioned that there are things that we want to see this administration do to clarify. Absolutely. It can be changed. They can be changed as a result of the comments that are coming in as a result of this comment period. I firmly believe this administration has an open mind. They have an open mind because their goals are, are twofold protect clean water, but also provide clarity and clear rules so that that we in the in the public can, can comply with the law. So, you know, anything we do to try to, to strengthen this rule, I think it's going to have to march down that line so that we're, we're being balanced. If you could change something in it, what would you change? <laughs> well, I think if, uh, if I was going to change one thing, you know, I would make sure and we're encouraging them in our comments to make sure that they make the definition of tributary extremely clear. Right now, they, they use terms like flow during a typical year. I think one of the things they need to do is make that very specific. Uh, the Farm Bureau is supporting that the flow in these features that are going to be tributaries need to be at least 90 continuous days. You know, there's a lot of people that believe it ought to be more than that. But clearly, uh, the agency has a history and can can probably support 90 days. But clearly, we're not talking about streams or we're not talking about features that, that only have water during rainfall events. We're, we want to protect real streams, real aquatic resources. And the way you do that is with a real clear definition. Ultimately, Don, does this get decided in the courts? It does, Mike. Uh, unfortunately, that... The old rule, the Obama 2015 rule, is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. I have no doubt about that. I think when this administration ultimately withdraws that rule, that rule is going to ultimately go all the way to the Supreme Court. And then this rule, which we believe is more balanced, we believe that it is also legally defensible. We also believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but I hope the uncertainty is now moving back near the center where we can we can live and operate our farms in ways that we're not in, in danger of, of running afoul of the law. But it's going to take a while to get this changed. It is going to take a while. Uh, I, you can expect EPA to spend a lot of quality time between now and the end of this year uh, preparing to finalize a rule that they can support. And part of that they can support piece is responding to comments that everybody's making right now. And, and clearly, they've got to flesh out not only the, the decisions they make, but why and the rationale why they made those decisions. I think that is critically important, and that's critically important in, in making sure that it is legally defensible. You can still get those comments in at fb.org. Don, thank you very much. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you. Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're going to talk markets next with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean. 
or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin, we want to talk about the Dairy Pride Act that she is once again helping to sponsor. We have seen an explosion of imitation products that have gotten away with using dairy's good name for their own benefit, which is actually against the law, and that law must be enforced. So the Dairy Pride Act pushes the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to actually enforce the law because mislabeling of plant-based products as milk really does hurt our dairy farmers and their hard work should be recognized and the law should be enforced. Dairy farmers across America are sort of in a perfect storm of uh, unfavorable conditions, whether that's the low price that they're getting for their milk or uh, issues of oversupply and trade wars. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for joining us uh, we, we know that the markets don't get real excited about uh, the weather and late planning when it's still early April. It's too soon for the markets to get worried about that. But what about the, uh, the problems with moving grain around because of the weather problems in much of the Midwest? Uh, how, how does that impact markets? You know, the thing that it's impacting uh, for a lot of folks uh, is just simply from the cash price perspective. You know, there's been a lot of basis pushes here uh, this week especially, uh, and it depends on which part of the countryside that you're in. uh, But just about every producer that I talk to, uh, you know, that we deal with, and it's in several different states, uh, if they're talking to their uh, their, uh, buyer, to their originator, if you will, uh, for the most part, we're hearing, I'm hearing up to a nickel, uh, sometimes even a dime push. So, uh, you know, the bottom line for a lot of these guys, they haven't gotten quite the grain that they wanted to get. Uh, this dip in the uh, futures price, uh, not to mention the logistics you talked about, but the dips in the futures prices, you know, have gotten guys where they're a little bit cold feet, don't really want to sell anything, basis have to do the work. So uh, uh, cash price has definitely been uh, where the work has been done here in the last few days. What does have the market's attention right now? Well, I'm looking at my screen, and corn's uh, up a quarter, and uh, beans are up two. I don't know, uh, you know, that. I mean, yesterday was uh, just as dead as could be. Uh, the corn market was getting, uh, basically, uh, was kind of victimized uh, by some folks doing some spreading, where the wheat market was up just a little bit, corn was off. 
but you know, as far as our markets are concerned, yesterday the exports uh, for corn uh, just they weren't very good at all. You know, I mean, the big story yesterday, of course, was the uh, was the pork exports. Uh, uh, but if we could see some excitement whenever it comes to corn exports, then maybe people might buy in a little bit. But you're right, weather is not going to make a huge impact uh, this early in the game. Uh, at the same time, I think the market uh, uh, maybe would have a little more excitement about it uh, with this weather situation, this huge storm in the upper Midwest. But <clears throat> with the U.S.-China trade situation, I think a lot of the money is just on the sidelines, not too excited, don't want to jump in, not quite ready to buy into this uh, market just yet. You mentioned the pork situation. I mean, African swine fever We've been talking about this for some time, but the story seems to be a long way from being over. It uh, And we're not sure, I guess, really how this will play out, other than it looks like it's creating more demand in China for pork. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, uh, their, their demand is, is gigantic to begin with. Uh, you know, uh, their demand for protein, uh, not just pork, but even beef. Uh, and so I do think that long term you've got a fair amount of support uh, for higher beef prices and uh, pork prices. Uh, but whenever I look at the market yesterday, you know, 77,000 metric tons are by far and away uh, the largest purchase that China's uh, made off of us. We have to remember they've got tariffs on our pork uh, and, and they're substantial tariffs. So uh, for them to make those types of purchases tells us that uh, absolutely they're going to be in, uh, you know, sourcing protein wherever they can find it at whatever cost that it takes, and, uh, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, but they've got to be able to come up with the protein. And so yesterday, you know, we opened the, uh, some of the contracts on the uh, on the uh, pork. Uh, I mean, shoot, lean hogs were up a, up the limit, you know, on the open. We were, we were looking at some awfully uh, salty prices. I mean, heck, you look at, uh, uh, you look at uh, some of the lean hogs contracts are over $100. And so, uh, yeah, we're getting beat up a little bit here this morning. This has been a wildly volatile trade, uh, but the bottom line is uh, the Chinese need protein, and they're going to continue to source it uh, wherever they can find it. We're going to talk more about that in our next segment with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. But uh, certainly, uh, eventually, that's that's positive for the grains, right, uh, uh, Matt? Uh, if we're going to move more pork and... Uh, you know, we start supplying, you know, when you're supplying, you got to feed those animals. So uh, eventually that gets to the grain sector. Right. And so if this, I mean, uh, a lot of people that have studied African swine fever will, will tell you that to completely eradicate it can sometimes take years. And so uh, if that is the case, then you, you could probably expect uh, the U.S. Uh, pork industry to expand uh, maybe fairly quickly. I think that, uh, um, you know, it, it's a situation where you see that, that type of expansion. And what you just mentioned is, is exactly going to be what's going to happen, which is going to be uh, more feed demand, which is something that we need to see. Because, uh, quite frankly, if they've lost 20 to 40 percent of their uh, of their uh, pork uh, herd, if you will, or swine herd, I mean, gee, many Christmas, that, that, that is uh, going to be a huge, uh, huge uh, kick uh, to the you know, to the industry of feed uh, feed demand. And so uh, soybean, soybean meal, you name it, uh, in the short term, that's a very big concern. Longer longer term, though, yeah, I think that we're going to have more feed demand right here in the U.S. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, what was your reaction to those USDA numbers recently where they found more corn and, and are thinking there'll be more corn acres coming? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the report for the quarterly stocks for me, I mean, I wasn't too concerned about the acreage. Uh, you know, I thought 92.8 was a little rich. I mean, uh, our, our official estimate was about a million acres lower than that. But, uh, you know, I was a little more concerned with the quarterly stocks. It tells me that uh, either they completely missed quarterly stocks uh, there in December or they underestimated the size of the 2018 corn crop, which is interesting in that uh, the previous two reports where they addressed yield uh, – uh, they had dropped yield a substantial amount. So, you know, I don't know uh, with the kind of winter that we had, if you could ever say that feed usage would, uh, you know, it would be preposterous to say feed usage was lower with the kind of weather that we've had and the kind of livestock numbers that we have. Uh, but at the same time, uh, 
uh, you know, that's what we've got to trade. And so uh, we came into uh, this April report, and we didn't take the whole 270 million bushels on. Uh, basically, we uh, we ended up with around 200 million bushels more than what uh, what we previously had. So we went from 1.835 to 2.035. So we're right back to 2 billion bushels, range-bound trade, blase market. And we've got to hope that we get some sort of a U.S.-Chinese trade deal uh, or a major weather issue, or this market's volatility is liable to be uh, slim to none. Why isn't the wheat market stronger? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we saw some strength there yesterday. I mean, uh, definitely conditions aren't all that rosy. Uh, but, you know, the wheat market is, is so finicky, to be totally honest with you. I mean, it it's one market that I stay away from. You know, everyone on uh, social media calls it civil. Uh, you know the the uh, the wheat market is 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 tough to outguess, but uh, I never want to buy too much into a bullish story on wheat because wheat any sort of a shortage for wheat anywhere in the world can be addressed very quickly because you can grow wheat just about anywhere and so and that's more of a big picture level. But I, I'm not too excited about wheat uh, prices rallying substantially at this point. If we can't do it on uh, on uh, conditions reports being where they're at, I don't know how we're going to do it. Okay, so we have another blizzard hitting the upper Midwest. Meanwhile, here in Illinois, where you and I are, uh, it's wet, but uh, farmers this week have been able to get a little bit done. I've seen on social media some planters moving a little bit. Uh, we know some anhydrous going on, so we're getting closer here. Do you do you still have a, uh, a friendly long-term uh, uh, picture on uh, corn or not? You know, that, that's, a, that's a big question. Okay, so... The way I'm looking at the corn market is if you can stay wet and keep a wet forecast uh, out to the end of the month, uh, then you might get a little bit of excitability uh, generated. Uh, but we pretty pretty much need some sort of definitive either uh, big purchases from China or a trade deal. Now, if we get big purchases, every time we get those, people start to feel better that something is about to happen. Uh, and so I think that you need a combination of some really good news from the trade front uh, and then, you know, pushing our uh, our spring back just a little bit. You know, right now corn's doing nothing to buy acres. Uh, uh, looking at profitability spreadsheets for some producers, uh, you know, it is really hard to come up with black ink right now, uh, whether you're talking corn or beans. So it's kind of a desolate situation. But uh, I feel like corn could have a story. A lot of us are sitting here wondering if the funds are going to cover their positions. They typically do. That's what. That's what they don't bring this sort of, sort of a short position in in the past and hold it through the growing season. We don't expect them to any year because they haven't done it before. What if this is the year that they do so, though? That, and that concerns me a great deal. So I, I would say that I'm supportive of corn at these prices, uh, but it's hard to get terribly bullish until we learn a little bit more about what this growing season is going to look like as well as the trade situation. All right, Matt, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Well, again, so much uh, hinging on uh, the trade talks with China. Uh, we keep hearing bits and pieces that they're, they're getting close. We've been hearing that for some time. Let's talk with Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, for her perspective, and we'll do that next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds, all backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector, we see an early mix on Friday, while livestock at the Merck are mixed as well. Weakness being seen in lean hog futures. As part of a prospective deal on trade, the U.S. and China have agreed to measures that American officials say will deter Beijing from currency manipulation by requiring greater disclosure of economic actions, that according to Officials familiar with the negotiations. Yesterday, June lean hogs jumped over 3% at the opening bell amid a USDA report of large pork export sales to China last week. We are pulling back on this Friday with June lean hogs down $1.70 an hour into the day at $96 even. Live cattle futures steady to $0.25 cents lower. June down a nickel at one twenty thirty seven. Cash cattle sales could be wrapped up for the week in the south. We've seen business at 124 steady with a week ago. More business on a dress basis possible in the north today. In feeder cattle, the May contract near unchanged at 149.87. Grain and oil seed sector in soybean futures were trending two to three cents higher. May contract up three at 898 and a quarter. November 9.30 and a half an hour into the day, up two and a quarter. Near unchanged in corn, new crop December, 3.88 and a half cent. For the wheats, Chicago July up a penny at 4.66 and a half. Kansas City July up a penny and a half at 4.39. Minneapolis spring wheat, September new crop down two and three quarters, 5.44 and three quarters of a cent. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 213 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to try to read the tea leaves, read between the lines of what's going on with the U.S.-China trade talks, and here to help us do that is Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thank you for joining us again. We're hearing things about they're working on details like compliance offices and things like that. Does that mean, in your opinion, that we're getting close to a deal? I think that we are getting close to a deal. We continue to hear uh, very positive uh, comments from both U.S. and Chinese officials. This week we had a chance to meet with both. It sounds like, you know, as we talked about the last time, the remaining issues are hard ones, dealing with enforcement and tariffs. But it's, it sounds like there have been some uh, progress that was made this week. Secretary Mnuchin talked about it on Wednesday that an enforcement mechanism may have been agreed to. So that really just means that the list continues to narrow. Now, we know that China is dealing with African swine fever. They've been buying more U.S. pork. Uh, does this put more pressure on them to, to come to uh, an agreement? 
I don't think that we should assume that any of these things are going to pressure the governments already than they're already pressured. I mean, we've got situations here where, where industry in both countries recognizes a desire to get things done, but these are longstanding difficult issues, and, uh, and until that broader package is done, both governments seem willing to wait it out um, regardless of what's happening domestically. So how do you see it playing out? Uh, do you see anything coming in the, in the real near future? What the, what the indications are this week uh, from both governments is that the president's statement last week of negotiations potentially concluding in about four weeks and then another two weeks to do what's referred to as the legal scrub, essentially making the English and the Chinese uh, say exactly the same thing. Both sides are telling us that that is, appears right now to be a realistic timeline. If that's the case, and if that holds, uh, you know, obviously pending some really challenging issues to get resolved, it would mean that we could have some resolution at the earliest by about mid to late May. That might be a little ambitious. We never know what kind of hiccups might come on, and neither government has set a deadline for the negotiation, so it could be extended. But it does appear that there's a light at the end of this tunnel, and it may not be a train. So nothing's done until it's done. But what are the chances that no deal gets done? I mean, after all of this, do you think that's a possibility? I don't think you could ever rule it out as a, as a possibility. The, the, the risk is always there. But all indications are that they have made some substantive progress on some really challenging issues that everyone will get a little bit of what they need. Uh, someone told me this week that they viewed the amount of success of an agreement was if everybody was a little bit unhappy. Um, if you're only a little bit unhappy, you're willing to at least recognize you've made some progress. And so I, I think we're on track to have everyone get to where they need to be to be able to accept an agreement. You have Both sides will have to be able to spin it that they won or got a lot out of it. Uh, I think in the case of the U.S., when you're talking about to agriculture in particular and probably to other interests as well, uh, can you s sell it as a deal that is good enough to make it worth what you've given up the last year or so? <laughs> that part um, I do not know. And my, uh, I will assume that probably uh, every, uh, every farmer and every ag company is going to have to make that determination on their own. What we think is under negotiation would both be – uh, hopefully a reduction and ultimately removal of the tariffs that are on many of these products, hopefully immediately, but it might be over a time frame. But then along with that, efforts to get more certainty for products that are going into China. So an effort to resolve some of the tariff issues that have been, uh, that have made imported ethanol and, and DG, DDGS too expensive. Uh, some issues dealing with biotech approvals that might bring some more clarity and consistency of use of a scientific process to those issues. All of these things we know are on the table. Whether it fully resolves all of those problems or not is to be determined. But, again, I think it's probably going to be better than where we, uh, where we are right now. And whether it's better than where we were beforehand, we'll have to assess once we see the text. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. A lot of this, Aaron, started supposedly around the, uh, the issue uh, over intellectual property. Have they dealt with that? They have. So uh, in the past month, China has implemented, well, I'm sorry, they have finalized a new law governing foreign investment that has some explicit provisions on it dealing with the protection of intellectual property rights in a variety of ways. And there is a revised patent law that's going around that appears to address many industry concerns. Now, the key with any of these is what the implementing regulations look like. As with any law here, um, China, you have to see the regulations to see exactly what it means for your individual business. But if things are implemented in the way that they appear to have been intended to be drafted, that is improving IP protection and having real penalties when, those, uh, when IP is violated or stolen in some way, uh, it should, again, go to addressing many of the issues that the United States and other trading partners have had for many years. In agriculture, we often talk about concerns over uh, for, uh, you know, pushing China to look for uh, 
other trading partners and buying from others and not so much from us. Is that a concern in other business sectors as well? Absolutely. Once, one thing about supply chains is you take them for granted until you can't have access to them anymore. And that's not just a matter of where China is sourcing its ag products, but that's also a case in terms of technology products, in terms of the chemicals and, and uh, manufacturing industry. If you can establish a supply chain that you believe is going to be more stable and that's at a comparable quality and price, then it becomes a lot harder to go back, no matter how good of a relationship you had with the original supplier. So ag is not in a unique position on that. Unfortunately, we're all in the same boat. If and when a deal is announced, we're going to assume that one will be, um, and how good it is will be in the eye of the beholder. But obviously, it's going to be big, big news. You can't overlook the political aspects of it as well for both countries. Absolutely. I think we have spoken about this before. We sometimes think that um, that China can, uh, the president of China can make any decision that he wants, but he's got as many internal battles as we have here in the United States. So he cannot agree to a deal that makes China look weak, much like President Trump can't agree to a deal that doesn't address the issues that they have made a priority over the past two-plus years. So what the ultimate outcome here needs to be everybody gets something that addresses what their needs are. They both are able to show that they have held the line on the issues that are of most importance to them, and they lay out a path forward that's sustainable. Well, there will be a lot of second guessing, no doubt, but, uh, you know, because I can just hear some already saying, depending on what's in the deal, you mean this is what we've waited all this time for? This is what we've suffered for <laughs> to get this? I, I mean, there'll be people saying that, right? Whatever the deal is, probably. That is absolutely right, and there'll probably be people both in the United States and China saying that. Look, I, you know, I live in Washington. That's that's how we pay our bills is co- constantly complaining about we wanted more and we didn't get enough. I, I don't think that means – that in itself should not be how we judge this agreement. We really all are going to need to look at the content of it and make a critical assessment about – whether it not only ha- improves things over where we are today, but whether it gets at those core issues of where we started probably you know, a year and a half ago on this. Seems like we all jump on every little news item that we get, especially if it's good news. We get it, what sounds like good news and talks uh, between the U.S. and China officials, and we get really excited, and a lot of times we've been let down. What do you watch for or what do you listen for that gives you indications that it's really significant that this is something that uh, uh, we should take uh, seriously in general what we're looking for is consistency of reporting in both u.s and chinese media if both if both media are reporting roughly the same thing that's usually a pretty pretty good indication that something has some basis in it. That can include in the Chinese side both you know, public media, but also what's coming out in um, the daily press conferences that their various ministries have. Beyond that, or absent that, we also just ask a lot of questions to find out what has changed. Uh, it, it is always a good adage when consuming any kind of media to question when something sounds too good to be true. It's also worthwhile to question when something sounds so awful that you don't want to believe it. It, The truth in these instances generally is somewhere in the middle. And again, we're hopeful that all of this is leading to something that will be a notable improvement about where, uh, over where we stood in August of 2017 when when these cases began. But we're going to have to wait to see those details. How is it playing in China right now, the talks? Uh, It is not as high profile as it is here. Um, China, as probably everybody knows, has a lot more control over what the media covers on any given day. But in general, the talks are being referred to as positive. There's periodic um, admonitions in Chinese media from uh, scholars as well as others to encourage China not to be weak and not to allow the U.S. to take advantage of them. But that general sentiment that we're hearing here of an interest in actually getting to a, a solution that works for both sides continues. All right, Aaron, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you for your perspective and helping us through all this as we continue down this road, hopefully to a big announcement coming uh, in the very near future. We hope so, uh, and a good one, we hope. Aaron, thanks as always. You're welcome. Have a good weekend. You too. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China 
Business Council. All right, we continue to keep an eye on the, the latest storm hitting the upper Midwest. Yesterday we heard from a farm broadcaster in South Dakota. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Joe Gill. He's the farm director at KASM in Albany, Minnesota. We'll find out what conditions are like there in Minnesota and get an update from him next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Okay, men. This is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on 
USMCA, saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns. There are side agreements. There is implementing legislation that can provide some assurance to, to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with. I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that, at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to monitor weather conditions, especially this year in the upper Midwest with the the past storms and now the current storm. Yesterday we heard from South Dakota. Today we check in in Minnesota. And joining us is the farm director at our affiliate KASM in Albany, Minnesota, Joe Gill. Joe, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you. Well, give us an update there in uh, in especially southern Minnesota. Well, uh, here in central Minnesota, we're still seeing snow here on, on Friday. Central Minnesota, they got hit a lot harder, Mike, uh, as you go back to Wednesday into Thursday. Uh, they had very limited travel in that neck of the neck of the woods, that part of the state. And the biggest thing they're dealing with here as of late Thursday, early Friday, as uh, many folks are without power right now, their power lines, they had that ice we saw, uh, a flare of rain and freezing rain. So that southern bottom fourth of uh, Minnesota right now dealing with uh, some power issues. They've had a lot more precipitation snow-wise. We've had about five to seven inches here in central Minnesota right along the I-94 corridor, but they've seen uh, just a little more snowfall. Okay, so that's central and southern. What about north of you? North of us, uh, right now, haven't gotten too many reports uh, to to my north, but they're pretty much on the lower end. This system, we spoke to some of our meteorologist uh, friends uh, this morning. They said, to be honest, it it stayed a little more south than what they thought it would do. So uh, this I-94 line right here was kind of the cutoff, and we've seen a lot of weather systems, whether it's rain or snow, here in the past year or two, really kind of follow that I-94 line. So to the north of us, I think, have escaped pretty, pretty well as far as uh, seeing any major snowfall. How far away would you say right now if you got good weather? And that's a big if, but if you got it, uh, how far away from uh, planning time would you be? You know, we're, we're a long ways away, Mike. I think before this snow came, this weather, we were still a long ways away yet from seeing anything in the field being done. I had one listener share a photo with me back on Wednesday before we saw the weather. He was he was doing some plowing. He was doing some tillage. He didn't get in in last fall, and that was just a, a bit to my south here. But otherwise, you didn't see much going on. A few folks uh, applying some manure in the area, but really it was wet, a lot of water standing in some of the areas. But this uh, added winter weather, it's really going to push folks back. I don't. I can't see anything uh, being done here in April, maybe that final week, but that'll be a, a stretch, I imagine. We're hearing you talking about the power outages. Have you had any other infrastructure issues, uh, uh, like we've heard about bridges and roads and uh, rail lines uh, being damaged and uh, inoperable? What about in your area? You know, the big thing here in the state, Mike, has been buildings. Uh, with the snowfall we had this winter, especially in southeastern Minnesota, southern Minnesota. We've had a few in our area of uh, barn collapses and roofs uh, collapsing as well. It it went so far, there were so many cases where the legislature had to pick it up and include snow in some of the legislative language when it came to uh, being able to apply for some indemnity payments. So uh, I know there was a push by some area farm organizations to get the word snow inserted, which they did. It actually moved rather quickly because that was the main thing. We've seen a lot of barns and egg buildings impacted by the heavy snow we saw this winter. 
We're talking with Joe Gill. He's farm director at Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Joe, we've talked a lot about how transportation has been impacted. Movement of grain has really been slowed or stopped in many areas. What about for the dairy folks? What about those milk trucks? You know, the milk trucks uh, seem to be so far moving uh, without too much of a problem. The only thing we're hearing is maybe uh, they're getting ahead of certain storms. I know a few folks had had the truck come the night before or the day before just to kind of work their ways around, but nothing has been too, too much uh, of a negative impact in our area here. They've been able to get around. Uh, We did have a few glimpses uh, a month or two, as I mentioned, in southeastern Minnesota where they saw more snowfall at certain segments. Uh, There they had a little delay, uh, but nothing, I guess. uh, uh, It could have been a lot worse. It's been pretty manageable. What kind of forecast do you have? Forecast, well, uh, we each each year, I know Cliff started many years ago contacting the onion lady, is what we call it, the onion lady <laughs> report. And that's forecasting the weather by simply using an onion. And uh, it was supposed to be a wet spring, and then uh, the nozzle is supposed to turn off here for, for the summertime months and then have a wet fall. So we'll wait and see if that holds true. Um, but a lot of people I know are uh, kind of short when it comes to uh, some hay and alfalfa, so that they're hoping we're going to have a good year. They had a great year last year when it came to their alfalfa crop, so uh, we're holding out hope that things are going to dry up a little bit as we've seen just a lot of precipitation. Joe, other than the weather, which is the big issue right now, what are the other issues that you're hearing farmers talk the most about? The main issue, Mike, right now is the dairy situation here. Uh, Stearns County, where we reside in, is still the biggest dairy county here in Minnesota, and we're seeing two to four to five dairy herds uh, sold per week, per week just about. Um, they're, they're going out of business right now. Some of the smaller dairies we're seeing right now impacted really bad, and that's because of the last four or five years in, in milk price. Um, and just when you look in, in that whole equation, uh, the price of inputs and, and other aspects, and you look at dairy cattle prices, we're seeing uh, your best uh, springing heifers, your springers that brought 20 to $2,400 a few years ago. Now they're bringing maybe 12 or 13 at best. Seeing milk cows are being sold anywhere from five to $800 a piece. So um, that's the big thing in our area. Um, a lot of folks have some hope when it comes to the new DMC program, uh, the dairy RP program, but a lot of folks share the same feeling. It's, it's a Band-Aid, but we need some real change as we hope for a better dairy industry here in the future. All right, Joe, thanks for being with us. Uh, Keep up the great work there in Albany, Minnesota. Thanks for being with us. Good to talk with you. Thanks again, Mike. All right, Joe Gill, Farm Director at KASM in Albany, Minnesota. He does a great job covering agriculture up in Minnesota. Appreciate his his perspectives on uh, what's going on in his state here as uh, many continue to deal with this uh, rough uh, winter weather, uh, yet another storm. Well, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA.